Hi, it's Dan Hare for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to have as my guest, Mark LaFrance. We'll be talking music, travels, the business of music, the ups and downs of being a career entertainer, and we'll get some other insights as well about recording, jingles, working on major albums, and much more. So stick around for a look inside the Canadian music scene from someone who has been there for many decades. Mark LaFrance has basically done it all, touring, recording, studio work, management, artist development, and much, much more. He has rubbed shoulders and worked with many of the premier musicians in the world. He remains a longtime member of Randy Bachman's projects, providing drums and vocals, and he does many other shows with his projects as well, Cease and Desist and Atlantic Crossing. With his record label, Delinquent Records, Mark records and manages various recording acts and licenses music for many platforms worldwide. So thanks for joining me today, Mark. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. Fantastic, actually, considering... that's what i always start with you know how are you doing through this covid shutdown are you going crazy are you okay no i'm actually doing for me it's been actually probably one of the more creative times that i've had in years because as as you know yourself when we're out performing live all the time and touring it seems like that always takes precedence over uh recording and and everything goes in the back burner and you get ready to do something and another tour comes up next thing you know you're sitting in an airport that type of thing and it, it just gets pushed behind well it's this has kind of forced me to become creative again which is fantastic absolutely i've had the same experience it's just a it was a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways you take a step back and because and, touring is stressful and people don't realize you know your 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 road manager is busy and you're doing things and you're traveling and you're trying to prepare and you're mentally preparing too so it really does suck your energy away from other things so well that's great to hear yeah, I feel very, I feel very pleased about that. Considering, you know, not to belittle what other people are going through, but uh, I find musicians, in general rule, especially us that create all the time, we're for, you know, I've been in the biz for fifty years, I think now. Ooh, that's pretty scary. Yeah, uh, and go. so, and so, how many times have we had, you know, you do something in your life, and then that comes to an end, and all of a sudden you're going, uh oh, what am I going to do now? Well, for me, yeah. COVID was another one of those just experiences where I had to recreate you know, think out of the box. And so yeah, here we go. You know, it's funny. I've, I've often said I have never taken two weeks off in my life. I've never had a two week call. <laughs> I mean, cause I work all the time, right? We're, we're much the same that way. Absolutely. And, and, and it's funny. And then I thought, well, okay, I've always said like, try to, every setback is an opportunity to improve. So I Absolutely. better take my own advice and why not? And let's, let's do it. So yeah, I want to talk to you about all that and and all the. I mean, you were playing full time right up to the COVID shutdown with yes. Season yeah, we were we we yeah. did a uh, the last real gig that I that I've done was uh, we did a uh, a rock and roll cruise or whatever out of uh, Miami, and this was like in, this was in February, and you know my wife came with me. We went. We did the show on the boat. It was fantastic. We went to. We were in in. Um, Puerto Rico for four days after we come home and then kabang it hit so yeah. we we're lucky we're still not sailing on a boat right now <laughs> yeah well there you go because some people did get stuck out on the boats for, right for months yes oh jeez. well you got fortunate there and then of course you come back and it's like falling off a cliff that's what I, I looked at my whole calendar I had my my uh, eraser out and I'm erasing all these dates and going good lord what's going on here I know it's it's amazing how many probably the same thing with you it's how many dates 
that I, especially some of the corporate ones that it's like they okay let's move it to september and then you move it to september well i think we better move it to next may and so now we're probably looking at who knows when we're going to move it to but we've got quite a few gigs that are scheduled to happen but we you know it's up in the air when we'll be able to do them i suppose yeah that's right a lot of people bumped them ahead a year and then i thought yeah. well, that because i had i was had wishful thinking the whole time i thought okay september october by the end of the exactly. year we're gonna be good here right yeah it's, yeah <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look that way so. no no it's uh it's uh it's a work in progress not a not a good one but uh yeah i guess we we just have to you just have to deal with it i don't know i try not to get too uh stressed out about that stuff and, and and try and concentrate on the positive stuff because it's too easy to get dragged down the hole if you if you if you just listen too much so i sort of uh, just kind of stick to the stuff that I know and that's creating music and, and yeah. family. Right. So, yeah, no, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you because I'm, I'm the same way. I'm a positive guy. And, you know, I've, I've often said, some of my friends have said, well, I'm, you know, what are we going to do? I'm depressed. I said, you know, the music business has always been a challenge. This is just Absolutely. a different kind of challenge. So Absolutely. This step is, up, you know? yeah, you got to think outside of that box and the comfort yeah. zone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So for the people that aren't aware of your career, which I can't imagine there are any, but just can you give us a brief history, uh, you know, your your sort of background, you came from Winnipeg and, and how yeah. you ended up getting in the music business. Just give us the short version. Well, I, uh, I played, ended up, you know, played in cover bands. I'm originally from Winnipeg, so I had my first bands like Musical Odyssey, which is a popular band. And then out of that, I ended up in a band called Crocus, not to be confused with the one from Europe, but this is C-R-O-W-C-U-S-S that had two ex-Guess Who members in it. Yeah. And that was my first real recording act, and it did very well for four years. I lived out of a suitcase, and then <laughs> in 1980, I moved to Vancouver, and Started doing jingle sessions, very, which was ended up being very successful for me. And yeah. uh, working with the likes of Brian Adams, actually, was just getting started around that time. So we were doing, we found ourselves in the studio singing together, and and uh, it was it was kind of a yeah. Uh, fun and it thing. all kind of it all yeah. kind of went from there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then I, you know, being a little mountain sound, all of a sudden you're doing jingles there, and Bob Rock yeah. and was uh, was kind of and you know was getting his start with uh, engineering and uh, you know, you'd be there doing a jingle and Bob would go, Hey, can you do sing on this? I'm doing blue murder. Can you sing on this album project? So that's kind of how the album thing started, which ended up being lasting for some 15 years at little mountain sound. And then, you know, through that, all that I did live work with uh, various people and different artists. And of course, cease and desist. Yeah. Uh, and Atlanta Crossing. So that's kind of where we are now. Yeah. I, I didn't actually know you in the eighties. Like I'd met you a few times cause I met you yes, many, yes. Many years ago, but, uh, but then certainly in the nineties and as you were playing through those times, but so when you were in Winnipeg, like what was your musical influence? Like you, there was lots of great music going on. And then was there a time in your life when you sort of thought, you know, that's my thing, that's what I'm going to well, do. You know, like, oddly enough, I was a young, you know, I mean, I, in 1964, like many people, uh, I, I was a young nine-year-old boy, and on the Ed Sullivan Show one February evening, the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, and for me, that was that's all it took. It yeah. was like for me, it just it was that was it, and I went, you know, all these girls were screaming about this guy. I said, "What a great job to have!" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got in it for the women first. No, no, of course, yeah, I yeah, love the music, but it seemed, you know, but it was just, and, and every of course, Winnipeg was like was. Uh, uh, 
it was kind of like the Liverpool of North, North America. We had bands all over the place. And of course, the Guess Who, yeah. then, a, you know, maybe a year or two later, the Guess Who ended yeah. up ha- in my hometown and ended up having a hit with Shaken All Over. And then they got yeah. and these eyes. So, and then you could see, you know, I'd be playing gigs and Kurt Winter and, and uh, Burton Cummings, these guys would show up at my gigs and stuff. So you just, you just sort of thought, it just sort of gave you that inspiration and they, Hey kid, you're, you sing well, yeah. you play well, you got to keep doing this. And it just sort of kept in reimburse, sort of continuing getting that positive, uh, energy to, right. to, to, to follow this up. So I got, I got the bug very early and never looked back. And well, I good. Just... No, I, it, it's funny because some people got into it for, you know, like you say, for the women or for the fun of it or for the rock and roll, but I, I always loved the music, you know, and, and the people that have lasted in this industry when everything else sort of fades away and, and it really comes down to it. It's because you love the music and, Absolutely. It's in you and you Absolutely. have to do it. Right? Well, I mean, of course, back then, everybody, we, we all wanted to be as big as Elvis and the Beatles. I mean, that was, yeah. everybody thought that way back when we were young, we didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. But, but for me, it's, you know, I mean, I have young uh, up and coming artists come up to me and they'll go, how did you do this? How did you get involved in the studio stuff? All of this stuff. I says, well, well, I love it. And I say, well, I ask them, well, what, what do you want to do? And some of them say, I want to be rich and famous. And I just automatically say, Hey, that's the wrong attitude, man. You have to love what you do because it's not going to be rich and famous stuff all the time. It's got to be about the music and the love of the music. If you don't have that, that fire burning in you, you're not going to make it through the difficult times. And I know a lot of very talented guys that could have been hugely successful, but they didn't have that fire in their belly in their belly to yeah. want to want to do this. Right. So you, it, you, it is the love of the music and the love of the business. I love the business as, yeah. as many, uh, there's a lot of artists that don't like the music business side. Well, I'm one of the people that, I, I like the challenge of it's a complicated yeah. industry, but it, I love that part of it as well. Yeah, no, I, I applaud you for that too. I want to ask you a little bit more about that in a bit, but uh, it, it's totally right because how many musicians have I had say to me, "Well, I just I couldn't deal with the BS of the business and stuff." I'm like, "Well, then you should you should get out of it if, if exactly. you can't handle that. Then don't because that you got to deal with that, or otherwise you can't exist in this business." Well, I'm sure you've had a lot of you know you have people come up and go, "Oh." how difficult that must be, you know, your business is so tough. And then I'll say, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a self-employed, you know, whatever entrepreneur. And I go, well, that's the same thing as I am. And you, you have to understand your business and you have to understand it's the music business, music business. So you have to know the nuts and bolts of your industry. If you're going to succeed, otherwise, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's not going to happen, you know. Yeah, that's totally right. And and some people ask me, you know, how are you able to make a living playing music? And and my short answer is, I say I insist on it. I just absolutely, absolutely insist on it. I that's what I do. So, you know, or when people, I have a funny joke that if if I'm loading gear out of a club or something, and somebody will come up to me and say, Gee, "Don't you hate loading gear when you're when you're finished playing?" I said, no, I hate it when people ask me if I hate loading gear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's physical activity. Business, right? It's it's part oh, of our so workout. 
I go I mean, to the yeah, gym. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, you, you load yeah. your drums, right? Yeah, I go to the I go to the gym almost every day just so I can load my drums yeah. in and out of the vehicle without injuring myself. <laughs> well, exactly. But but I mean, you've done lots of gigs where you, where you just walk in and you sit down and play the drums. But you've also done yeah. lots of other gigs where you take your drums in, you set them up. Well, so what? absolutely. I sometimes you know a lot of how many times are we doing setting up drums and PA's and lights and everything? Oh, I mean, that's that's all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of I like it though. I mean, I, I had a PA company in the eighties because I, it was so expensive to rent them. So I thought, well, yeah, buy one. And I ended up owning three of them, but uh, I didn't mind. I, I had my head in the back of an amp rack half the time. It was so what? It's just part of the, part of the gig. Well, it, plus it teaches you some of the technical part, you know, of, yeah. you know, how to, yeah, plug, sure. how to plug a microphone. And it's a handy thing to know, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Comes in hand. Well, I figured somebody needs to know, so I guess it's me. I'm looking around going, okay. So, but I wanted to ask you about your, your earlier bands too, like with Crocus. It's so funny. Remember the old show, Kids in the Hall? I think I told you this before, yes. but I'll, I'll share it with you. Yeah. So remember they had that, that one skit, they had Kathy with a C and Kathy with a K. Yeah. And uh, so, there you go. Crocus with a K, Crocus with a C. <laughs> exactly. You could do, they take them from the kids of the hall. So I solved your problem for you. Well, you know, but, the, funny, uh, the, fun, the funny story about that is that, of course, I moved here to Vancouver in 1980 and Crocus kind of uh, fell apart around that time. So, and I was doing the se- session working on and that type of stuff and things were going well, but people were asking me, why did you quit Crocus when they're just happening? They just had a release because they released. And the funny thing too is that they ended up recording American Woman, and I think they did a BTO song as well. So, which is quite oh. funny because I ended up, you know, working with Randy and of course my history with the guess who because of yeah. Bill Wallace and Greg Lesky who are original members of Crocus. So, yeah, it's it's kind of funny, you know, people. Why did you? Yeah, well, I wondered what happened with the band. I wondered because because you guys were on your way, right? You had some serious. You know. Yes, it was the band. Did we did two albums with Stony Stony Plain Records? Holger Peterson, who amazing man, and uh, oddly enough, we've had a little bit of a resurgence because the Stony Plain catalog just got bought up by Lioness, which is a fairly substantial uh, independent label in Canada. And um, one of the gentlemen there that was working, Brad Macri fell in love with Crocus out of the out of the Stony Plain catalog, which which is primarily a blues kind of label. But yep. Holger actually mortgaged his house in the in the seventies for uh, so that we could do two albums because of course back then it's not like now where you have Pro Tools and that type of stuff yeah. where you, everybody yeah. can do a record. Back then you had to have a record label in order to actually record a an album because you know it was so expensive. You had to go into a real studio and that was that cost a lot of money back in the day, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. If you didn't have the budget, you weren't going to yeah. make. Uh, but yeah, and, and it's funny because so you wrote "Running Start." Is that right? Is that your song? No, no, I didn't. That was Larry Pink wrote that. And it, okay, I was like one of the young. I was like a. I played in a band called Musical Odyssey, which was quite popular cover band in Winnipeg, and I was lucky that the, the prime, you know, the, the top musicians in Winnipeg, such as Bill Wallace, who is an amazing. Uh, bass player and was with the guess who longer than Jim Cale was. Yeah. And uh, Greg Lesky, who replaced Randy Bachman yeah. and uh, Herman Froome, all of these, they were like five, six years older and they took me, you know, they, they liked the way I sang. So I ended up being, uh, sang most of the material from Crocus. Oh, and, and it was great too. I love it. I love the video and your young, young skinny guy on the drum <laughs> singing. You're, you're a pretty man. You're a pretty man. <laughs> it got me in a lot of trouble back then, but we won't go into that. Okay. <laughs> no, that's good. But uh, no, it's such a nice voice. And then of course, 
lots of harmonies. I, I love the running start song. It's it's sort of got a Pablo Cruz kind of feel. It really, to it really it, you know? does. And yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff. And uh, the great thing is, is I'm, I've just gotten together with some of the guys to we're actually doing some recording as we speak. So. Oh, neat. Yeah. yeah, in Vancouver here? It, well, yeah, well, because some of us are all over the place. We have uh, uh, Bill Wallace is back in in, uh, in Winnipeg, and Larry Pink and Herm Froome are here. And, of course, with the COVID, everybody's recording from their home studio. So it's been yeah. it's been a bit of a you know challenge, but uh, I'm up for it, and it's been very enjoyable to re-hook up with these guys. I mean, I've always kept in contact with them. We had... You know, it wasn't one of those stories where we hated each other because, and we broke up. It was because, you know, some guys decided to stay in Winnipeg and I moved here and I started, I couldn't believe I actually started making money off music when I moved to Vancouver because yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, back in yeah. Winnipeg, you do a jingle and you get paid 50 bucks. All of a sudden you're singing a national spot for Toyota yeah. or whatever, and they're paying you, you know, some nice cash. So yeah. it was a real eye opener, but yeah. Uh, that is the funny thing about bands, right? I mean, you don't you don't always have to hate each other to split no, up. Every, you know, no. you got to keep it. To, there's some glue that holds it together, and then sometimes Absolutely. that glue sort of falls apart, and people just go their own way, and and that's the way it works, right? Absolutely. But I mean, look at you and I. We've had we've probably played. You know, with March Hare, you probably been. That's. I mean, look at how many years you guys have played together. Say, like with Nick, yep. Brent, and I from with season assist i don't think i've ever worked as much with 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 two individuals you know we go back nick and i i think october 1st was 30 year no 35 years that we're working together yeah. and brent about 33 or something so yeah it's pretty amazing which is nice if you can get people on the same page that's the thing like like andy and i have 22 years now but yeah. if you're on if you're on the same page you just find a way to work it out and of course the way you keep score is how successful the band is if you've got Absolutely. gigs and you're working i mean that's yeah. your, that's how you keep score and as long as there's gigs there's nothing kills a band quicker than no gigs yeah absolutely and we've so, been both of our bands have been fortunate because we you know we're smart enough to when the club when the circuit dried up we you know, ended up there again. It was another situation where we all had to think outside of the box and get involved in the corporate gigs and that type of stuff. A lot of other guys didn't. They just, you know, how many yeah. guys do you hear? I mean, I hear guys, oh man, I wish we could go back to the good old days. And I go, you mean like playing six nights a week in bars yeah. and making a hundred bucks each? Yeah, I don't exactly. think so. <laughs> no, that, that's a good point because it's better now than ever really Absolutely. for me you know it Absolutely. is because I mean, well, yeah me too it's, a, it's yeah. no question it's, yeah. but i guess you know nostalgia, nostalgia for many people is 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 such an important thing well for all of us i mean i think back fondly about a lot of the stuff that i've done and you know it seems like the longer you're away from it the more fond you get of it you know you're yeah. or, yeah, but those are those are a function of the time too, right? I mean, yes. you're, you're in a certain situation back then. I mean, I played the clubs all through the '80s, and that's the way it was. But I, one thing I was able to do was sort of read the landscape. It went into the pub scene in the '90s, and then the casino. I could see the casinos and the corporate events coming yes. in, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's where the money's going to be. Like, you're not going to make a living playing pubs. You're not going to make a living playing in pubs. I mean, that should have been obvious to a lot of guys that it wasn't that obvious to. Absolutely. So, well. I mean, it's I'm, that's one of the sad things about our industry, unfortunately, is that a lot of maybe because of the old the, the the way people used to think. You know, it's like you know you'd have the manager going, "Hey, you don't worry about the business; you just play the yeah. music, and I'll take care of it." And how many stories have you heard where guys ended up destitute because of those very words? Absolutely, quite, yeah. and you know, and so a lot of guys just never wanted to get involved in the business side, and then. 
I think it was the, to their own detriment for sure. It, certainly it was because it came back to bite them when, when they realized that the, the industry had changed underneath them and they weren't prepared for it. So they just went on to do other things. And then of course they fall away, but I think that's the natural progression of things. So yes. let me ask you, you, you came to Vancouver and then you ended up playing, I guess you played with Trooper for a bit too, right? You, you I did. Got together I, with Smitty and Ray. Well, actually before that, I was lucky enough to, I, I came to Vancouver and immediately started meeting, you know, doing sessions. Like two days after I moved to Vancouver, I started doing studio work at Little nice. Mountain and, and with other uh, advertising companies, which ended up turning into the album thing. But also I ended up uh, playing with Jerry Doucette in his yeah. band for a while when I first nice. moved here. And another gentleman called Bruce Miller, who is an amazing songwriter, did an album with him, did an album with Sherry Ulrich. Nice. And then I was also, and then I got asked to be in Trooper, and I was actually in Trooper and Prism at the same time. So I, when I first moved here, I oh, was wow. very, I was very active and busy, and I remember flying to LA to do videos for the new Prism album, and then coming back and doing a tour uh, across Canada with Trooper. So yeah, uh, it was it was quite a remarkable time. Well, that's pretty exciting. You must have felt like the world was coming at you at 100 miles an hour, and you're like, whoa, we're going to do this. You, you know, the, cra- yeah, the crazy thing is, it's like you've probably been through a lot of this yourself, is I, the number of times that I've things have happened where it looks, oh, this is going to be the big one. This is, you know, that happened to me so many times, but yeah. it never quite turned out the way I thought. But out of that, something else incredible would come. So you just, you know, every experience feeds upon the next experience. Well, I think that's good advice. And, and I've said the same thing to people, like, especially musician people. I said, try to say yes as much as you can. I mean, you're going to have to say no at sometimes, but if something comes along, you know, sniff around, check it out and try to say yes, if you can, because it does lead to other things. Yeah. You never know. It's, you, never, you know, you do I mean, for me doing a lot of that album work, uh, you know, I didn't, wasn't even familiar with all of it. I remember going to my first session or earlier session with, uh, with Bob and, went in there it was a band called the cult i didn't even know who they were and i went and i sang and then it ended up being one a huge album sonic temple firewood yeah, you know so certainly was yeah you, you just never know uh and out of that you get you gain credibility for your own projects later because they go oh he must yeah. be good because he sang on this record or that record <laughs> <laughs> well you you're so a magic well. show <laughs> yeah, but but you earned it as well because you never would have stayed there if it but let me let me get a break in here and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the little mountain days so all right we'll take a break we'll be right back with mark lafrance hey do you want to hear about new episodes before they go live then join the liner notes vip community you'll be able to listen to the weekly podcast before the general public plus the episodes have no ads breaks or interruptions of any kind you'll also hear exclusive bonus episodes and be the first to know about upcoming guests to check out the details and become a member go to linernotes.ca now let's get back to our special guest all right, welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Mark LaFrance today. We just went through a bit of his history. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the Little Mountain, the famous and perhaps infamous Little Mountain days. So, so you ended up being in the studio with the, you know, where there was a real buzz there at Little Mountain, right, for many it was, years. It was amazing because, uh, and it kind of started with uh, uh, when you think back, Lover Boy, because yeah. Little Mountain Sound had an amazing, uh, it was an amazing studio. So you had you know, people like Bob Rock and eventually Mike Fraser, who initially started, I think in 79, he was the janitor and he kind of worked yeah. his way through the, through the ranks. So I'd be doing in the early days in 1980, I'd be doing sessions and Bob Rock and, and uh, you know, 
Mike Fraser were just, you know, maybe running tape operators and they were learning through Roger Monk, who was the head engineer. And then lo and behold, they both took off. And next thing you know, they were producing uh, big records along, along with Bruce Fairburn. So that, that yeah. just kind of developed and Little Mountain ended up being this amazing place where you'd have jingles happening. You know, you'd be sitting in the lounge or in the waiting room to do a jingle session and Bob Rock would walk by and go, hey, I'm doing an album next week, a band called Blue Murder. Do you think you could come and do some Bee Gees? Sure. And then I'd be doing a session with the Blue Murder album, sitting in a lobby, and one of the guys from the, uh, Miles Ramsey, one of the guys from uh, GGRP would come, hey, I'm doing a McDonald's ad uh, tomorrow. Are you available? So I'd, sometimes yeah. I'd just go hang out there and have a coffee, and I'd get a gig, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is which is nice, but I mean, yeah. again, you, you, well deserved because if if you weren't at the caliber that you were at, you you wouldn't have hung around, right? They would have. Well, of course, uh, if you, you had to have the you had to have the ability to 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 yeah. pull it off because you know you a lot, know a lot of guys got the opportunity to get in there one day, but if you didn't if you didn't get uh, if you didn't do the job or you you know you you wouldn't get called back, and, and I was yeah. fortunate because I had. Lower, my lower range was pretty decent and my high range was pretty decent. So they liked music flip, especially for the jingle sessions would flip me back and forth. Okay, Mark, go sing with the guys. Okay, go sing with the girls to give it some little, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so That's and, funny. So the other thing about Little Mountain though is they created this buzz, right? People were coming from around the world. Like, so you could, absolutely. You could attract the Bon Jovis and the Aerosmiths and, and these serious world-class bands. When you've got that buzz, it's sort of like a club. When you go to a club and everybody just goes there, it's full already, right? And absolutely. so, you know, that was, that was part of the hype of Little Mountain. Well, it did. So, like I said, too, it got kicked off from when Fairburn and, and uh, Bob Rock uh, got involved with Loverboy. And the Loverboy album did so well that, you know, Bon Jovi heard the Loverboy record and he says that he liked that production. Who produced that? So he ended up coming to do yeah, Slippery with Wet. Yeah. And so, and then that just exploded. You know, well, it's neat, you know, that the fact that you mentioned Loverboy, you know, I know it, it, as a club band and a, a club musician and a full-time musician in Vancouver at the time, I and mean, we were all super proud of the fact that there was so much great stuff coming out of Vancouver and Loverboy. I mean, everybody was a fan of Loverboy. These great songs, Absolutely. great singing and just loved it. Man. Great just, playing all of the, play. yeah, I mean, really you good. Know, yeah. yeah, it was, they were amazing. Of course, I've known Paul Dean from way back in the Winnipeg days when he was in Scribble Cane. Yeah. And uh, so we've had a friendship through the Crocus years, even before he was in Loverboy. So he's, uh, yeah, he's been, I've been a big fan of his for years. He produced, he produced my first solo album, Mark LaFrance, with back in oh, yeah. 1994 yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Nice. No, he's great. And and he played with Streetheart for a bit too, right? He did. He was, yeah. he, he was, he put the band together and, yeah. and of course ended up, uh, leaving under unusual circumstances but yeah uh, in any case uh, he never stopped he's one of probably one of the hardest working and uh, guys in, in the biz for me he's yeah. always go he's like he reminds me a bit of Rand, randy bachman is another guy yeah. who just you know you talk to randy or paul they're always doing something they're always yeah. writing they're always fired up about something you know yeah. they're, no, like, that's, they're that's like super cool. kids in a candy store which is great <laughs> to see 
Well, that's the thing. It's the passion, right? If you've still got the passion, then it, it, it comes out. And, and I've, I've said before, and it, it sounds a little corny, but I've said to people before, well, I really love, you know, what I do and people that are successful really love what they do. If, you, if that sounds corny to you, well, you're competing against somebody who, who feels that way. So if you don't feel that way yourself, then you're at a disadvantage right away because Absolutely. they really care yeah. about what they do. Yeah, get out of the biz. If you don't love what you yeah. do, it's, I mean, I, I have the same thing. I get up every morning and I just can't wait to do something, whatever yeah. it is, write a song or, you know, yeah. sing on somebody's record or get produce something or, you know, work yeah. out a new deal that will help, you know, get things moving. It's just, you know, it's, it's a never ending work in progress and it's a never ending learning process because you're forever yeah. learning how to do things, right? Yeah, no, that's that's good. I mean, that's really inspirational too, right? So the the little mountain thing, just to sort of to to wrap that, um, it was a unique time, right? I mean, it was just one of those times that comes along in life, and and I'm sure you felt fortunate to be part of it. Do, do you think that that will ever happen again, like a buzz like that, or the big studio? What's the deal with the big studios now? You still got the Armory here, and well, you got the Armory and Adams, the warehouse too. I mean, they, we still have amazing yeah. facilities, and surprisingly enough, there are. I mean, right now because of the COVID, obviously uh, nobody's you know there's restrictions for for travel, so these studios are probably hurting pretty bad right now, but they're, they're yeah. still, you know, I've had the good fortune of continuing to work in those studios and, uh, you know, yeah. both of those studios are, are, you know, amazing facilities to work in. And anytime yeah. I have an opportunity to go work there to do it, I, I, I definitely love it. So, so the big studios aren't dead then there's still some life in there. Oh yeah. There's still, I think, and I, you know, I can't help but th- I, mean, I know this is a tough time for everybody, but I know, I believe it's my own thing. Once we get through this, and we will get through it, we're going to have a resurgence in live music. We're going to we're we're going to have shows are going to start happening again. It's, it's a matter of time, but I mean, obviously, it might take a little bit longer, but but we are going to get there. And I believe that we're going to go through a, a roaring twenties again. So. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, brother. I, I'm with yeah. you because I'm I'm a positive guy, and and people love music, and musicians love making music, and it's going to work out just fine. And even if we're lucky, we'll get a slingshot effect where things will come back even stronger. I once think it will. Safe, I, right? I believe I believe that too. I believe it's going to be. I think a lot of people took live music for granted for years, and I think now they realize how important it is. And um, I don't know. I think it's yeah. going to be. A, I think we're going to have a huge renaissance. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And it's funny because, you know, in the last probably five years, you know, as as the years go on, and I, I'm still a relatively young man, but I've, I've got my decades behind me as well. And I, I've found that as I've gotten older, I'm more thankful when I'm on stage. And I'm up there with this attitude of gratitude. I'm just smiling and I'm singing and playing and I'm just loving it and just really enjoying it more than ever. And I think it comes across to people. Like I, I was really sensing that people were getting that. I think so too. And, I, and, and you know, for me, I mean, I like, I love the big stages. But I'm not. I don't mind playing in a little bar and Absolutely. making people happy. To me, I, I don't look at that as a a negative thing. I know there's a lot of other musicians out there that, oh, I'm, you know, that's yeah. you know, I'm too big to be doing this. And I, I go, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Better <laughs> check that eagle at the door, buddy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I, I think it's totally right. Yeah. So the one the one thing thing I was going to mention is about Mushroom Studios because uh, you know in the '70s in Vancouver. Yes, uh, you know I loved it. Like, and I've I've had the chance to record at Mushroom a few times, and not as many as I would like, but but yeah, I mean, you could, you had Hart and Jerry. You know, I love Jerry Doucette. Like, he's, yeah, he's one of my absolute favorites. Like, he is he is a world class talent. Like, 
in my mind, one of my faves, one of my guitar heroes and stuff. And I had a chance to to hang with him and play with him a little bit. And I and I always appreciated that because I'm a huge fan of Jerry Doucette. But he was at Mushroom and then Heart and Chilliwack, of course, which we all love. So did you ever record there? Did you ever? Yes, do anything as Mushroom? a matter of yeah. fact, the very the first Crocus album was recorded at little at uh, Mushroom Studios with Keith Steen as as the producer, oh. and okay. that's where that's actually where I met. Uh, Jerry Doucette and met a lot of different people when I was still wasn't living here yeah. uh, and of course Crocus did a lot of dates with Jerry Doucette uh, warming him up warming him up as yeah. well as with a bunch of other artists as well so that's that's kind of how I ended up playing in uh, Jerry's band for mm, and to be like you know like five or six months or something like that yeah yeah, we, it's funny because we were playing a gig one time out in Chilliwack, I think, and, and Jerry came in over top of us. We were we were the band for that week, and then Jerry came in over top of us. I don't think you were with that. Would have been around eighty three, probably. Yeah, no, I, 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 I was in nineteen eighty. I, I played with him yeah. in, in in the early part of nineteen eighty. Yeah. yeah, or yes. no, the latter part of nineteen eighty would have been like around yeah. mm, October, November, December into January. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because I remember so, when 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 we were playing at Outlaws, yeah. uh, and I was uh, hanging out with, uh, with at an agent's place, waiting to go to the gig, uh, Brian Wadsworth, and I was watching the the football game, Monday Night Football, and that's the night that I heard Lennon was shot, and oh, yeah. and that was the night that when with Jerry when we were playing the side set, he started doing playing Hey Jude at the end in the solo and Mama Let Him Play. He, he does it in Mama, I've, I've seen him yes, do it. Yes, yeah. and that was the first night that he did it. And we played wow. a, cu- a couple of nights later, I guess, around that period of time later, we played, warmed up the Beach Boys at yeah. the Coliseum. And I remember he, you know, him saying, this is for John. And yeah, so that was, I was there at that historic moment. So it was pretty, yeah, yeah pretty Super good cool. memory. Yeah, that's funny because I've seen Jerry lots, of course, and he, and he does... That's his anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. So, so tell me, what what was your favorite experience like with bands or your favorite studio, you know, experience? You know, because you've done so many different things. Of course, when you're doing a jingle, you go in and do your thing, you get paid. And then when you're doing your, but when you're in a band, like even with Crocus or your other bands, you're really you got skin in the game, right? You're in yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Your heart's in it. You really want to. So, so what was your favorite? Do you think? I don't know. It's so difficult because I, you know, I I think I'm up to somewhere around a thousand songs and over a hundred albums. <laughs> so it's kind of difficult for me to pick. A, I mean, there's been yeah. so many. I, I I really do feel blessed. I really have had so many amazing moments in studios. You know, all over the all over the world. I had I ended yeah. up with with uh, Bruce Miller. I remember an experience in L.A. Uh, recording at A and M Studios which is yeah. was an amazing and walking around the studio and uh, uh Bert Backrack was you know I remember being in the washroom with Bert Backrack and having a small chat and and yeah. Herb Albert and so that it's been wow. around that time too we were uh, um Bruce had me at the at the Hyatt house so he came to pick me up one day and we're going down the elevator and there's short black fellow in the elevator with us we had a small little chat he got out of the elevator and I and, and Bruce said, "Do you know who that is?" I said, "No." He said, "That's Prince." I said, "Who's that?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "He's this guy. He just had a hit with Little Red Corvette or something like that." So yeah. So as I ended up meeting uh, 
Prince in an elevator around that time oh, for a moment cool. in minute in time. So it was, yeah. so just, I've had so many different experiences like that. It's hard, it's hard to, of course, Little Mountain Sound has is, is got a, uh, that studio. It definitely has a, a foreign place in, yeah. in my yeah. heart because I, I spent, you know, good 10 to 15 yeah. years of my life in and out of that place doing all yeah. kinds of stuff, you know, singing, you know, some on some fairly substantial hits. So, yeah, and, no, that's know, cool. Well, the music business, I mean, it's obviously it's a business of ups and downs and, you know, you go on the crest and you ride the wave. And then like, like you said, sometimes you think you're just about there and then something else comes along and. And then sometimes you don't even realize you're there Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and you look back, you know, like I look back, you know, uh, I was talking about doing a a session with Bob for Jan Arden a couple months back or last year, a couple of years back, whatever it was. I lose track of time. And he, I remember we're sitting there talking and he says, Mark, did you ever think that Kickstart My Heart would that would be the signature song for <laughs> Motley Crue back when we did it? And I said, you know, I really no, I didn't. But you know, that song has been has done so well for them. It's been to, in fifteen to twenty different major motion pictures or TV shows. It's just been an amazing uh, song that just keeps you know just keeps getting picked up and played and, and it's, you know, what is huge. Right. Yeah. And of course, Dr. Yeah. Feelgood. So having been a part of that, that yeah. album was, it was probably a major thing. And of course there was other albums as well, but that, that yeah. was probably a, a, a pretty major moment that I didn't yeah. realize I was having. <laughs> well, it, it's true. I guess, uh, you know, I, a history professor once said when I was taking a class, he said, you can't write history properly till about 50 to a hundred years later. When you no, look back uh, and you, yeah, re- no, you realize, that's right? true. Yeah, that's true. And yes. then, so at the time you're just doing it. Hey Mark, do you want to do this? You want to do that? You're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then you realize 20 years later you go, Oh wow. That was pretty cool. It's funny. Like what you mentioned earlier, you know, you should always say yes as much as possible. Well, I, I did that. I would say yes is to almost anything that somebody asked me to do. And, and, you know, uh, uh, and you know, some stuff was not so good, but there was some great stuff. And you always learn, even when you're doing stuff that isn't that great, you're still learning something, right? So yeah, yeah, that, no, that's right. Like, and you don't need funny. to worry because if it's not that great, nobody will ever hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a good point, right? There's lots of stuff. Well, look at how much stuff gets recorded every day that no one's ever oh, going to hear. Never, so. never been more. Never been. I think the history of music. There's never been more stuff recorded than there is right now. Yeah. No. Fair enough. That's uh, that's amazing. I mean, it's it's it sort of watered everything down a little bit, I suppose. I mean, I'm in favor of the fact that people can record from home, and I do it myself. But it it does water down the industry. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Because, but but you know, it's that that old saying that the cream always rises to the top. I'm. Uh, yeah. I think that one, that is a true statement. One one would hope that that's true. I would hope <laughs> yeah, that's still true. Yeah, of course you want to be the cream, but the <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You do what you do, and and it does what it does. You know, absolutely, that's, that's the way it goes, right? I mean, so get back to the live music thing. I mean, you do lots of live shows in the year, in a year, and in all the years I've known you, I've I've always admired your work ethic. You know, you talked about that earlier, but you're like a yeoman, right? Like, I mean, what I like about you is that you you can do a, a huge concert with you know in front of ten thousand people and then two days later you're playing a club and, and enjoying it and you're the same guy and i know that and i've seen i've seen that side of you and i really appreciate it we did that show last summer you played for brent when when his guy wasn't available and then i did we did the british invasion show i think right after and then you do yeah. the atlantic crossing so it's great i've always admired you for that and and 
yeah, just talk about that. How many how many shows do you do in a year? Do you do like hundred well, plus? Probably, I don't know. Probably, yeah, considerable amount of shows between Randy and Season This Is Atlanta Crossing and whatever else I can fit in there. But I mean, obviously, this year has been a bit of a uh, yeah, well, that's a low, but uh, but yeah. yeah, normally it's a fair amount of shows. Definitely, I, I love playing. I love being in the studio. I love playing live. I mean, it's you. You got to be able to do both. You know, yeah. to be to be a fulfilled uh, artist, yeah. I think musician player. You know, because it's. I mean, you just you know getting out and connecting with people that that like your music and fans and that type of stuff. Too, and I always enjoy that. Yeah, it's funny because when you listen to some people talking, you know, some people prefer the bigger venues and some people prefer the prefer the smaller ones. And you know, for me, when you're when you're doing a big show, like people are a ways away from you and everybody's yelling and stuff. But the the clubs is more personal, and I kind of, you know, I'm I'm okay with both. But I like the personal connection too, right? There's just absolutely. I, why limit you? You know, there's no point in limiting yourself because it, you're right. I mean, you look at even like a guy like Paul McCartney there. Uh, when the Beatles are out towards the end of the Beatles, he was keen. He didn't want to do the big shows. Yeah. He wanted the Beatles to go in and play a little club, which he ended up doing with his, his own band wings, you yeah. know, uh, shortly at thereafter. But, you yeah. know, it, it really, there is some intimate thing. And I think of course he did that not that long ago in, in Liverpool where he went and played a club with his band. And it, you're right. It, there's a real intimacy in playing in, in those type of venues that you yeah. don't get on the big stage, the big stage, everybody, you know, it's yeah. It's, it, the big stage is the big stage, and it's great. It's not, I'm not yeah. going to say anything because I do love that, but I love the intimacy of a small yeah. venue as well. Yeah, fair enough. And and the bigger stages I find are, are can be a little bit less refined, right? You've got lots of people; they're all screaming and yelling. You're just sort of banging away. That you know, there's a lot of noise, and, and they're not as refined as say a smaller event. I, who's the guy from Super Tramp uh, that, that tours all the time? Because he he was saying oh, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I know he, he was the original Roger. Roger. Um, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. You know, the guy with the high voice. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's, <laughs> yeah, I, I can picture his face. I can't think of his name like an idiot, but anyway, so, so he Sorry, said, Roger. yeah, exactly. But he said that he, he just didn't like the big concerts. He likes about a thousand seat venue. He likes the theaters, right? The sound is controlled. He can sing. Those are, those yeah. are nice too. I, yeah, I love the theaters see. too. Those are, because they're similar. Yeah. They're, they're nice. You can see people's faces at least in the yeah, front for rows. sure. And, and the sound is way better than a big loud, Oh, without a doubt. So do you like touring? Yeah. Do you like traveling? I love it. I love, yeah. uh, I, you know, you know, I don't, I, I love airports. I love touring. I love the tour <laughs> bus. I, I don't know. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment or something. I don't know. But I, I, I like the whole, I like the whole aspect of everything because it's, you know, you get this when you're traveling with a band on the road in a bus, you're, you get that amazing camaraderie with your crew and you have some good laughs yeah, eat too you eat too much pizza. However, but yeah, that's a whole that's other thing. <laughs> well, it's it's true. I mean, it, it's funny because I always ask that, and and some people love traveling, and and I've had lots of friends in the industry that say, "Hey, man, I I'll go anywhere. I don't care wherever I hang my hat. That's my home for the day, and I'm there, and I'm good." Other people really don't like traveling. I like traveling. I just don't like touring. Like if it's too long, if it's you know four weeks, six weeks, it just. Yeah, I think nowadays, I mean, with nowadays, of course, even with Randy or something, we don't really do long tours. Sometimes we'll go out for, we did do a, like a month or something or a couple of weeks. So a lot of the times it's just like you'd fly out on a Thursday, do a couple of gigs and fly home. 
You know? yes, yeah, so there's great. a lot of that. So you become like more of a weekend kind of warrior. And, and, and I, I don't know, I love it. We had some good opportunities with Cease and Assist to do some military gigs, like in obscure yeah. places like the, the, the Middle East, like in North Camp, which is, yeah. uh, a, you know, just 30 kilometers outside of the Gaza Strip. So wow. into the North Pole and do an unusual kind of gig. So you get to go places in the world that most people never get to see. So it opens your eyes as to, you know, yeah, how no, lucky how lucky we are in Canada for sure. But. That's great. And, and again, if you don't, if you just hate that part of the business, I like doing fly-ins and stuff, but then you're right. It's, you're not away for a month or anything. I mean, you read, you know, Brian Adams book or, or Shania Twain's book and stuff. They say, well, our tour was a year and a half long. Or, or you look at the nineties bands like Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, they, they were, absolutely. they rode those people like rented mules. They traveled all over the place. Their tours were even, even, um, Anne Murray said her tours were 18 months long. And she would take breaks and come back and do the TV specials and go back on tour. I know. So and then try and fit in and out the recording on yeah. top of that. It's brutal. Yeah. So it's I, better. I mean, I did that in the earlier part, like the croaker. So basically, you know, we lived that. I lived out of a suitcase for four years. Yeah. And, you know, between that, we did two albums. I remember we finished our second album, Winnipeg, hopped in our vehicles. Back then, we didn't have a tour bus. It was just two vans and a big, huge uh uh, like three ton or four ton, five ton truck yeah. with all our gear, drove to Toronto and warmed up Burton Cummings and quickly hopped in the vehicles and drove across the country to play and warm up Prism and in, 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 at the Coliseum in Vancouver. I mean, this is the crazy stuff we were doing. But at the time, I was younger, so it was like I, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it of course you probably remember in in the earlier part of your of your career as a young musician you had like a van and you'd pack the equipment up and you'd be driving it for us we'd be driving up to the palm manitoba for 14 hours on oh yeah gravel roads yeah and you know guys would be sleeping on the equipment in the back and you you know you hey i want to drive now just so you could sit in a yeah. sit in a seat for an hour or two yeah. <laughs> well no that's right and, and of course anybody that's paid their dues has done those kinds of things but, yeah. but back then we didn't really over Overthink it. We thought, okay, the gig's no. here, so let's go. Get all your stuff. We're gonna go, and you don't even overthink Absolutely. it. Absolutely, kind of go. And, yeah. and it's funny too because you get all the way there, you do a one nighter, and of course, you didn't have money for a hotel. So, okay, pack her up. Let's hop. Let's go home. <laughs> I did that too many times. I, I got, I developed it so I'd be, you know, finding ways to fight being tired. You got the radio on full blast. You got the oh, window open. The worst was yeah. the snow in the middle yeah. of winter where you're com- you, oh, yeah. you're like a you know 15 minutes outside of a, of a town that you're supposed to get to and it just you get hypnotized by the snow and yeah wonder how you actually made it to the Well I, I used to get a guy to sit I would make one of the band members sit in the right hand side cuz I almost always yeah. drove and I would say yeah. you watch the fence posts on the right hand side if I no, drift over yes. there you, you tell me <laughs> and, and it saved our lives a couple times yeah. I'm sure Absolutely and you can't see the yeah. road right <laughs> oh wow so listen let me take one more break and then i'll come okay. back and we'll do our last segment if that's all right perfect talking to mark lafrance we'll be right back check out songs from today's artists and other canadian music makers of the 60s through the 80s on dusty discs radio each tuesday and thursday it's nothing but canadian oldies you'll hear songs you know others you've forgotten and maybe a tune or two you've never heard Listen online at DustyDiscsRadio.com or download the TuneIn Radio app to your tablet or smartphone. Search Dusty Discs Radio and make it a favorite. Let's get back to our special guest. 
All right, welcome back. We're talking to Mark LaFrance and uh, getting lots of uh, war stories and experiences <laughs> and really enjoying it. So I appreciate you being on board here, Mark, and thanks for oh, talking to me today. Great fun. Yeah. So um, I was going to ask you, well, you've done lots of tours in the States, right? Like with Randy. I mean, one of the things about Canadian artists is that they uh, they don't break in the States. I mean, most of them don't. Some have. And of course, the guests who got American Woman and they were off to the races there and, and Randy with, with BTO. So how many dates do you do in the States? I mean, is Randy still fairly, fairly well known? and popular down there yes we do uh, actually a good portion of our dates we'd, we'd be in the states and and i think I, and with of course when we did the reunion with fred for back with turner yeah we ended up we played uh sweden rocks which was an amazing i think a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people nice. show up in this uh in the southern section of uh of sweden what an amazing just amazing venue Super. amazing equipment and we had that year we warmed up guns and roses uh which was quite a thrill yeah. and the night before we got to see aerosmith so you, that's the cool thing is you get to see some amazing acts we've done some great uh uh rock and roll cruises with randy as well where we play with peter frampton with greg allman with nice. america we did a tour in uh new zealand where yeah. we we did it uh triple bill with pat banatar and america we played we were there for about two weeks and played four or five venues it was cool. amazing that was one of my favorite yeah. tours it was just uh, you see yeah well that's a, such an amazing place you get to look around and go all yeah. these people that are that sort of formed our musical history you're playing alongside of them and hanging out with them and stuff so uh, any of them just really blow you away like what, what what's a band that you might have saw that when you were touring with randy that really just set you on well that, that aerosmith was it was there this was it would have been i don't know six or seven years ago but it was the they they'd had a bit of a spat and i think uh steve tyler had just done it was their first gig back and oh well, he's such an amazing front man and singer yeah. and just he just like hypnotizes you so that was that yeah. was pretty amazing and uh yeah. we um there's been all amazing bands. Pat Banatar was great. Uh, she's I the real know. deal, right? I mean, yeah, she's absolutely. the real singer and just the real deal in every respect. So and wonderful people. I mean, the, the most of the people I've worked with are, you know, it's like because people idolize them and you know almost put them up like gods. But when you meet them, you know, most of them are just they're no different than you and I. They're just you know human beings with skin and bone, and you know, yeah. it's just the, all the hype that sort of makes people bigger than life but uh, i think that's a that's a good point because uh, especially nowadays like in the old days you know maybe in the 70s and 80s people tried to be reclusive and they tried to be kind of mm -hmm. coy about their career and and now it's it, the 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 curtains pulled back and we're all just people and yeah they had some great hit songs but they're just people like everybody else and i think that's more sort of normalized now i don't know if that's your experience yeah absolutely yeah i think it is uh, and that's a good thing i mean i mean like yeah. there is a certain point there, it's nice to keep a little bit of mystique, but it's it's very difficult in this day and age, for sure. Yeah, no, that's right. And people want to connect, right? I mean, they want to talk to you. And absolutely. You. So, um, so have you formed any close friendships with any of those people? I mean, you rub shoulders with lots of people and sort of high by kind of things. But did you ever get a connection with any of them that that you would consider them friends of yours? Or well, I mean, I mean, there are people that I work with. It's funny with friends. I have some of the first, the closest friends I have are the friends that I met my back in my childhood that, that, you know, two buddies of mine that live in Dallas, Texas, I, we just, Dorota and I went to visit them last September 
and we uh, Rob Langdon, dear friend of us, got got us tickets to see Eric Clapton's um, Crossroads. Now that yeah. was an experience, musical experience. I got to see Steve cool. Gadd, my favorite drummer. Fantastic. So, so for me, a lot of my closest friends are still people from back in my that I first first played music with and continue. But you know, a guy like Paul Dean, I consider, you know, I can talk to him. Yeah. Uh, but you know, a lot of the people that I work with, like you know, the Ace or uh, not ACDs, but uh, uh, Molly Crew or Bon Jovi. I mean, that those are people I work with. I, they're not friends. They're yeah. the associates that I met, and I had success from working with them. But I would certainly don't yeah. consider them close friends. Well, it's interesting you should say that because I think you know it's it's a good word because when you're young and you're sort of bonding with those guys when you're out on the road like what we were talking about when you're doing those long trips and you're doing these gigs and it's hard you bond with those people right they become your your buddies and you've kind of gone through battle with them and and they were, remain lifelong friends many of them absolutely and that and that's you know like i said the Craig Troop, Rob Langan, Efi Bergman these are like my childhood well young man and i yeah. still talk with them on an, all the time and yeah cool and of course you know i mean I, the, the guys that i play with nick and brent and from cease and yeah. assist and you know guys like you i mean we see each other and we you know we we we're all friendly and it's like part of a part of a musical family and you, to, i've had way more closeness with people in my in that situation than than most of the people I've worked on their records, it was a job. Yeah. I got to hang out with them for a month or, yeah. you know, two weeks or whatever. But that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's the end of it. Well, no, I appreciate that. And I, I've always considered you a friend and, and you, you've been a guy in the, in the sort of Vancouver music scene and you, the fact that you can go off and do these other gigs is awesome. And we're all proud of you and happy that you're, that you can do that. And then you come back and hang out with all of us and do your gigs and it's good. So I've, I've always respected you and appreciated that about you. Well, you got to keep you got to you got to keep humble. I think it's you know it's hard in our industry because you have to have an ego. We all have them, but but yeah. uh, but you know you have to learn what to draw the line. Of course, my wife keeps me in check on that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's, I know. I told my wife one time, joking, I said, you know, telling me I suck is not considered constructive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we agree on that? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, she's my so, number one fan, but. There you if, I'm, go. if I'm doing something that doesn't work, she'll let me know. And I appreciate that because it's, oh, it's nice it. to have. Yeah, so it's too easy to get, you know, you don't want everybody saying you're great when you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. So. Yeah. So let me just switch gears a little bit. I just want to, I want to do a little bit of promo. I know this is for, this is for retro radio, but you've got delinquent records and you, that's still active. And you did your solo album out of nowhere, uh, which Paul Dean produced, you said, and then you're promoting other tunes like the, the kids song and the guitar hero stuff and the cackleberries, any of that stuff you want to share with us? Well, actually, oddly enough, I'm just in the process of, uh, I'm doing a deal with a, with, um, with Brad Macri of, uh, with, um, out of out east and uh we're just really re-releasing my full catalog and i have a new single coming out over oh nice very shortly so i'm uh it'll be the first new music i've done in years and it's all because of the you know i've had to do something during this covid thing so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh that's kind of all coming together and you know you can find it it's all available on uh uh apple music and spotify and and wherever you get down. Okay, and that's and under Mark LaFrance, it would be? It'll be Mark LaFrance, first shot, 
which is another project I did with Doug Edwards and Peter Clark uh, several years back. And okay. Thunderbird, another project that I do with Rob, uh, Roger Frankham out of Australia. Yeah. And so there's quite a few, there's about seven or eight albums, and then some new stuff that's coming out, new microfronts, and probably some new Thunderbird stuff. So okay. that'll be oh, great. coming out in the not too distant future. So Okay, and are there links on... Go ahead. Yeah, it's Royalty Gnomes. This is the company that I'm, Royalty I Gnomes. That. Yeah, but they but it'll be uh, there'll be stuff out. You know, there'll be some releases and and you know probably some promo stuff happening on uh, Facebook and wherever all of the social yeah. media stuff that we do these days. <laughs> okay, and then you've got delinquentrecords.com, right? So people, yes. were there going to be links off of that if people go? Yeah, to there will be, Records? and there'll be uh, there'll be also the marklafrance.com uh, as well. But there's not much up there right now because we're just getting ready for this new release. So that a couple of weeks, uh, we should have yeah. that up and running. You know, it always takes time for the to get your metadata together. That's oh yeah, the new word that I. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, makes these you new, sound, all these new terms. I mean, it's so funny. Yeah. You know, it makes you sound like you know more than you actually. Yeah, do. absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. At first time, I, I was at a conference in LA. I don't know. I think four, three or four years ago, and I was at a, uh, you know at this seminar, and somebody started talking about metadata, and I went, "What is that?" <laughs> it's a new band, man. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> just, have you heard of metadata? Yeah, they got a couple of hits out at. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's you funny. Yeah. You can never stop. Head. You can never stop learning. That's the thing, right? It's, it's, it's true, it's, and some some people don't want to, but you know, uh, you think you think you know, know it all, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's totally true. So, just a couple of questions to to finish up here. I wanted to ask you, and uh, was always curious. Do you you write songs? Obviously, do you play guitar yes. or piano? Like, how do you? I, well, of course I play drums, but I, I, I'm not yeah. the greatest guitar player, but I do play guitar and a little piano. So I do sort of sketch stuff out that way, but I do a lot of collaborating yeah. with other people that play fine instruments. So that, that is yeah. a, that's a, uh, that's a great, I've been fortunate because I've, I've gotten to work with some of the best in the industry that are willing to sit down with me and, yeah. you know, write something. I mean, yeah, Doug yeah. Edwards, who is uh, unfortunately passed away, uh, uh, several. Uh, it's been a while, and David Sinclair. I mean, some of my dear friends that I worked with and wrote. Yeah, that's right. He he passed away last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. David and I. He did. We did. Of course, I played with him in Straight Lines, which is another band yeah. that I played with around in the earlier time. Great with, band, yeah. Had, uh, with Peter Clark and Bob Buckley and David Sinclair. Yeah. So, yeah. I had the great fortune of being able to write and work with these people yeah. as well. So he was a good. super respected yeah. guy. You know, it's funny. I, I'm embarrassed to say, like, I, I knew I knew of him and I'd met him a few times, but I, and I worked with him actually. He played with Babe Gurr up in, in Merritt when we were playing there. We were the house band. Yes. And he came mm -hmm. in and I helped him mm -hmm. out and I did a whole bunch of stuff for him. And then he came back and did it again. And he goes, I remember you. You're you're a super helpful guy. That's what that's what David David's saying. Yeah. Said, yeah he is he a was gem. really, really super nice and really good. Yeah. Sweet man. So, yeah, he'll be yeah. nice. He was in it very, very unassuming guy, but man, what a guitar player and, yeah. and what a songwriter. I mean, him and Bob wrote the hardest part of love is yeah, letting go, song. which is a, a classic Canadian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so amazing. on a, on a personal note, like what did you sacrifice for the success that you achieved? Like, did, did you, did you have to give something up or sacrifice something for, you know, maybe you wanted to, to go to school or pursue something else, or is there something that you, that you gave up that you for the success that you achieved? I, I don't think, you know, it's funny. Cause like I said earlier, 
when I was nine, I saw the Beatles and I just, you know, I went to, I grew, I went to private yeah. school, Catholic school. Yeah. See, and so you mean, Oh, a lot of my, the nuns and the priests and the teachers thought I was totally out of yeah. my mind. Cause they said, what are you going to do when you grow up? I said, I'm doing it right now. I'm going to be a <laughs> musician. And I just, I guess I just had the blinders on and didn't, I just, that's from day one at that young age, I just never looked back and just loved yeah. it. And, and I don't really think that I gave up anything to do it. I just yeah. learned and, and enjoyed every step of the way and the nice gradual climb that it yeah, was. No, that's so good. I really, I don't look, I don't really look at it that I sack. I mean, I mean, we all have to sacrifice. I miss certain weddings yeah. and some family stuff that I would, that I would have loved to have been around for, but you know, that's probably the biggest sacrifice yeah. is, is not being with your family when you when you when you should be and being family for me is probably the, one of the most important yeah. things it is the yeah. most important thing i mean there, a lot of musicians will go oh the music you know it's that the music is everything yeah. i love now it isn't family for me is the number one thing and you know yeah. and and the, and my love of my wife that and my kids is number one music is definitely down yeah. the list even though I love it, I'm not going to. No, know. I think that's that's a fair point. I mean, we've all I've missed lots yeah. of stuff over the years, but you still you still come yeah. back to your home base and you kind of work it out. And and again, I think what you're saying too is you don't overthink it. Like I never thought I didn't really want to do anything else, so you just you don't overthink it. You're not thinking well. Oh. Yeah, I never did. I just it just happened yeah. naturally, yeah. and 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 it and it you know became it just developed yeah. and and. It, and I think that's pretty so, much how it happened. For so, me. without getting into any regrets or anything, if you're looking back, what, what would you change about the course of your career? Was there any sort of decisions that you made that you might rethink, or managers, or bandmates, or maybe just? I don't. I don't. I, even that, I don't look in a negative way because you know you do a yeah. deal, and it goes a little south for whatever reason. I mean, a lot of people like to point fingers and go. Well, you know, that first album we did, it didn't happen because my manager yeah. sucked or the label sucked. I don't, to me, every experience, again, you do some, do a deal, learn from it. Okay, this was not quite right. And then you try and change it. But I, I don't look at, I don't, I don't like looking at things in a negative way. I guess I'm a horrible <laughs> optimist. <laughs> well, I share, the, I share the exact same view. I mean, you've, uh, you know, done some really successful yeah. things and you just take it as it comes and do the best you can and let the chips fall where they may. And I, I've, again... Well, it's too it's too it's too easy to 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 sit and point fingers when something goes wrong. You know, uh, you know, I leave that to other people if they want to be yeah. that way, fine. But I I just I just don't like to blame people for something didn't go the way I thought yeah. it should have gone. No, but, I appreciate you know, that. But I but I look I look at the balance, and the balance is it's been mostly yeah. good. And even, and even the stuff that might not be considered good, I learned something from it that, that ended up becoming a good thing. Well, I appreciate so. that. And I, I always like the saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right? And and things can be really good. Yes. They're not perfect. Nothing's perfect. No relationship, no no career. No, nothing. Nothing's perfect. So, nothing. No, absolutely. So tell me, is something about you that uh, people wouldn't know about you? Is Have you got like a secret hobby that you like or uh, something that you enjoyed? Are you a, a famous chef or is there anything else about you that people would like to hear? Mm. I love going to the gym. Okay. I, do. I love to me. My that's one of the. I don't even have breakfast before I go. Oh, really? My wife and I, and I've been doing this for quite a few years, but especially through this COVID thing, I've been, you know, uh, almost six six days a week, and I have different a different regime. But I just I absolutely love it. It gets clears my head, and then when I come home, 
have my breakfast, then I, I feel ready to face the day, no matter what it throws at me. But I, I love exercise. Oh, yeah, good for you. And being a drummer, it's a very physical experience, right? I mean, I drumming yeah. and singing. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm a singing drummer, so if I don't have my breathing together, yeah, uh, it, and don't and don't have strength to be able to do, you know, especially rock. When you're dealing with playing in a rock, especially the rock act with with Randy, when yeah. we're doing, I mean, we're banging them off, boom, boom, boom. There's hard, not even any talking in the rock shows, pretty much. Yeah. You know, he does a little bit, but it, you know, you have to have, keep the energy up, and for ninety minutes to two hours. Yeah. Right. No, that's great. So, you know, and you're still in great shape. And I know it's funny because when you listen to to like Neil Pert, for example, before he died, you know, he had to retire because he just couldn't physically yeah. do what he had done before, right? So absolutely. So it's good that you're, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of uh, musicians and guys that I mean, you got to take care of yourself. I mean, when you think about it, for a singer especially, we're carrying our instrument around yeah. with us. So if we don't treat our body with respect. It's it's going to uh, and especially during this time of this this, this COVID thing, yeah. the healthier you can be, hopefully you can fight this thing by at least being healthy. Yeah, so. absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you. Um, yeah. So I guess my last question is, what's your bucket list? Have you got a have you got a list of things that you still want to do? And and if you could wave a magic wand, what would that be? Well, my bucket list is to once we get through this, is to continue to travel and play music and. Uh, spend a lot of time in Europe. My wife is from Warsaw, Poland, yep. uh, where I met her. And, and I, of course, I met her doing a gig there with the, at the Sheraton. Yep. And we like to spend a lot of time in, in, in Europe and Italy and stuff. So I hope to continue doing that type of stuff and hopefully new adventures and seeing new places of the world for sure. Nice. Well, good for you. Well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you doing this today and, and talking with me and, uh, you know, sharing some of your experiences with you. And All right. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. Many thanks to Mark LaFrance for being part of Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his life in the music business. Uh, more information, as we said, is available at delinquentrecords.com. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. You can also become a member if you'd like notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio at DustyDiscsRadio.com Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. Until next time, take care. 